0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast growing industry. My guest today is Shami Nissan, the head of sustainability at Actus. Actus is a leading global investor in sustainable infrastructure and in 2019 was ranked the second largest renewable energy installer in the world. What I'm so excited about today is that we're going to find out how Actis is leveraging their position to establish renewables as the base load energy system for the future in developing markets, and do that while providing robust returns to investors. And we're also going to find out how Actus is creating thousands of technology jobs in these markets. So Shami, I've been following the work Actus is doing and I'm thrilled to have you on the program today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be with you today.
0: Wonderful. Well, Shami, Actus is incredibly ambitious in its plans for the renewable energy transition. And you have a proven track record of robust returns to investors. So tell us how you're managing both returns and the technology build out in the emerging markets.
1: Well, thanks, Paul. Yeah, we are really excited to um, be investing behind the energy transition. Um, this is something that is very much close to our hearts because Actis has a, an amazing track record in two areas. One is investing in um, renewables and power generation companies and emerging markets. And the second is investing sustainably, responsibly, and to achieve positive social and environmental impacts. And therefore, this opportunity to to invest behind the energy transition um, really gives us that ability to both achieve those returns for our investors, but also contribute to um, solutions um, in the face of climate change. So we're really excited because we've just launched our fifth energy fund, um, and it is a six billion fund, our largest ever. And it's going to provide reliable power um, for countries with very large and rapidly growing populations. Um, So in terms of your question around, um, you know, investing in impact and the opportunity to deliver uh, kind of sustainability outcomes, We've been very thoughtful about this for a long time. So for us, this isn't just about investing in renewables in isolation. We think about how we're going to transition and decarbonize other sectors and other industries. Because what the world really needs right now isn't just an energy transition per se. It's a whole economy transition. And in many ways... The renewables piece is the low hanging fruit. Of course, we need to invest behind renewables, but there are many other sectors um, that we invest in as actors, for example, and that would include digital, data centers, um, real estate. They also need to be decarbonized. So um, the approach that we take is, is really to focus on transitioning all of our sectors during our time as a responsible owner. Um, And we've developed several frameworks. We have something called Smart Olive, which helps us to do that. Um, And Smart Olive in a minute is is a simple concept. We have green, olive and brown. So green would be um, sectors that are um, playing going to play an important part in a net zero future. So that would be renewables. Brown would be something like coal, which doesn't really have a role in a net zero global economy. And in between, we have olive. And Actis is very um, critical about which olive assets we would like to invest in. So we're not saying we won't do olive. But during our time as a responsible owner of an olive asset, we will seek to make it and move it towards the green side as much as possible. So that's what we think of as transitioning the asset during our time as a shareholder.
0: And what is the average lifespan of your investment in whatever it is that you're, you're deploying capital to, Shami? How, how long does Actus typically, I'm sure it varies with the, with the technology or the, uh, the portfolio strategy, but um, on, on average, how long are investors engaged with you as their asset manager?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So you're right. You're absolutely right. So it depends on the investment strategy. So um, the the fund that I just mentioned, the Actus Energy Five Fund, for example, we're investing in growth, we're developing operating um, companies and building them up to scale. Um, And those might be sort of five to six years that we hold that company Paul, And then we also have um, a different investment strategy, which is a much longer tenure. And that might be more along the lines of 10 or 11 years. Um, But what we found with our investors is that um, many of them have stuck with us. So this last fund, for example, includes some of our previous investors. um, But it also includes some new relationships, which we're really delighted about. So our relationship with the investors can be, um, you know, can surpass the length of, of the fund itself if you see what i mean.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Now tell our listeners about the your impact scoring system at Actus. That's what I would think is a critical lever if you will for managing the processes that you engage in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So and thank you for asking. So i think one of the aspects that is distinctive about our approach is the Actus impact score. It's something that we introduced back in 2019. And the principle is simple. Um, For every single investment that we make, regardless of fund, strategy, geography, we will apply the Actus Impact Score. And that means that we will measure the impact that that asset or portfolio company has at baseline. So think of that as like day one. And we will also measure at exit. And the hope, of course, and the ambition is that we're going to increase the impact that the business we have invested in has on people and society during the time that we own it so that the exit score is higher than the baseline score. And that's what we refer to as the multiple. So if you've doubled the impact, for example, you would have an impact multiple of 2x. And the important part about this whole framework of measuring impact pool is around intentionality. So it's very much, you know, at the beginning, before you do the investment, you have to have a forecast exactly in the same way you would do with valuation. Where do we want to see it get to? And what are the particular levers that we're going to pull to create those positive social and environmental outcomes? So you need to have a theory of change. You know, what are the things that we're going to change? How many new jobs are we going to create? If it's a renewables asset, what are the megawatts? What are the units of power that it's going to yield? And how does that equate to the tons of carbon dioxide that are gonna be removed or avoided in the in the atmosphere? So for each asset, depending on what kind of business it is, we will say, what are the three to five impact metrics that we're gonna track? Because we want to be accountable and we want to achieve the desired impacts that we set out for ourselves at the beginning. Um, and look, some investments are going to be more impactful than others, that's fine. Some start out inherently more impactful, others perhaps less so, but you might achieve some amazing things along the way. So if I think of Ostro, um, which is a renewable investment in India, we found out along the way, Paul, that there were some serious um, issues in some of our communities with regards to access to water. And we installed solar-powered water filtration machines in nine different communities, and we tracked how much they dispensed. And we know that, that we dispensed, you know, in excess of a million liters of water to many thousands of people. So that's what I mean by measurable. Um, it's not just a notion we want to help people with access to water. It's kind of starting out with a baseline in that case of zero because we had zero machines. Um, and then we got to, you know, millions of liters that we were able to measure and we measured how many people they reached. So that that's a really important um, impact activity that we managed to implement during the time of our ownership by being on the board of a majority you know, we had a majority share there and we were able to work with management to say, this is what we want to do to contribute to positive impact in these communities.
0: Now, I think you're pursuing a brilliant strategy and within the energy transition and by investing in the construction of large data centers in emerging markets I know that you have plans. I believe it's for the first one that you're going to open in Lagos, Nigeria. Tell us about this because I think it's a it's a fantastic strategy for long term growth.
1: Yeah. So you know, as as we all know, um, there are several megatrends in the world. One is definitely sustainability, and we've talked about that. The other one is um, digitalization, and the pandemic has really. Um, you know, emphasized how important it is to be digitally connected. And the way that we think about it at Actis is that it is actually, um, you know, fundamental to raising standards of living. And we think of it as a fourth utility, you know, like electricity and like water. Mm -hmm. So we're investing um, behind data centers pretty heavily. And if you look at some of our markets, such as sub-Saharan Africa, you know, the data processing capability of London is larger than the whole of sub-Saharan Africa. So Mm. that tells you something about the need for digital infrastructure um, in some of our markets. And of course, the provision of that digital infrastructure enables people to participate in the digital economy. And that has huge impacts in terms of jobs and livelihoods and inclusion, Um, being able to participate in terms of the financial inclusion aspect uh, that has a huge uh, implication for women, in particular, because they are the you know the data shows us they are excluded from many um, financial services and products. Similarly, we have um, healthcare and education and other such social services that are delivered through digital means. Um, so, by having more digital infrastructure, people are able to avail themselves of those services. And then, of course, there's also the whole commerce side. And people can, um, you know, better run their businesses, reach different markets. So we know that um, digital infrastructure is directly correlated with economic growth. Um, the data that um, I like to talk about, the two data points are that, you know, a 10% increase in mobile phone penetration um, correlates to a 1.5% increase in GDP per capita. Hmm. And then if you apply that in an emerging markets context, it's a much bigger uplift. So, for example, in Africa, that 10% increase in penetration um, correlates to 2.5% increase in GDP growth. So there are very, very large positive impacts that emanate from, from digital and from data centers. They are more indirect than direct is how I would describe them. But nevertheless, they are very real. So we're really excited about the data center opportunity, Paul, because it is a huge acute and chronic need in our markets and therefore a large investment opportunity. But it's also, um, you know, a a, a way to really deliver um, social impact. And the the data center that you mentioned in Lagos in Nigeria um, is called Rack Center, And it really has so many of the hallmarks of what um, we like to do at Actis, which is create sustainability leaders. Um, So one of the um, kind of highlights of that that I wanted to share is that it's going to be a very, very green, environmentally efficient data center, probably the leading one on the continent of Africa. It's going to be 25% more energy efficient than other data centers. It's going to be 40% um, more efficient in terms of water use, and 53% more um, efficient in terms of the embodied carbon in the materials that were used to make it. Um, and those are the types of features that are normally uh, um, assessed by third party um, organizations that certify buildings as green. So mm. for example, we might know other um, kind of kite marks like BRIAM or LEED or Green Star. Um, So we're hoping to to be able to announce formally that it has been certified as a green data center, um, the first one to achieve that in, in Africa. But also, and I'll stop in a second, it's not just about being efficient because data centers are incredibly power hungry. We're also looking at how to make it inclusive. So we have a program of digital literacy and digital skills training that we want to launch in Lagos, which will be targeted at, Lower middle income, pretty much young people that are out that are out of work and out of employment, so that they're better able to take advantage of that digital of the digital age that we are in. They can boost their own skills so that they can better get jobs and have 21st century skills, um, and enable them to you know participate more in all of the kind of e goods that I mentioned, whether it's e health or or you know education or financial services. So. It's a holistic plan that we have for our data center in Nigeria.
0: That's very exciting. Now, Shami, you mentioned a uh, on average a one full percentage point lift in GDP for the per economies capita. per capita for the economies of countries that engage, uh, or I don't know if it's countries or locations or cities or whatever that engage this type of of growth strategy what what does that look like to an investor in the developed markets in terms of um, um dollars and cents or pounds i mean what what kind of uh, what what is G- gdp in a country like nigeria look like uh from an investor's point of view
1: yeah. So I hope I'm going to answer your question right. But Paul, tell me if, I, if I'm if i not on the right track. Okay. From an investor's point of view, data centers are super exciting because the world is desperately in need of more data center capability. And the part of the planet where we have exponential population growth is all in the Southern Hemisphere. So 80% of people are in the Southern hemisphere. Mm. And yet the digital access and penetration there is so much less than in the Northern hemisphere. So from a pure uh, demand and need side assessment, this is exciting from um, from an investor's point of view because you have a critical service that is effectively going unmet. And we have an opportunity to provide quickly um, because you can actually build and develop data centers fairly quickly. Um, that, that need can be plugged very effectively by investors. And there's plenty of capital there. We need to get more investors perhaps comfortable with the destination of emerging markets, Paul, because understandably there are those who maybe haven't kind of crossed the Rubicon and have um, you know, their own reasons and concerns about, about um, allocating dollars there. But for those investors who are looking for more than returns, who are also interested and passionate about purpose and impact and sustainability, data centers also deliver in that regard. So I see it as a really nice kind of Venn diagram of delivering sustainability outcomes and investor returns that are competitive.
0: That's great. So you've given us some really interesting uh, information related to risks and opportunities in these markets and you have 20 years of experience in responsible investment primarily serving in private equity banking and the development finance sectors based on your experience are there other risks and opportunities that our listeners should be aware of
1: yeah i think it's i think it's a great question and of course there are um, there is a certain kind of risk typology that comes with in some of our growth sector, in you know, growth markets or emerging markets. I think it's fair to say, Paul, that from an ESG point of view, the environmental regulatory and legal frameworks are not necessarily as developed uh, um, as they would be in OECD markets. And where they maybe are developed, then you have the other arm of that, which is enforcement. So, you might have good uh, regulatory standards, but perhaps weaker enforcement. And that makes it perhaps more challenging for an investor to go in and to establish um, OECD level or developed world or multinational company level, however you might like to label it, to establish those standards. But it's, and, and that's why it's really critical that asset owners that are choosing investment managers to allocate capital to are discerning enough to understand which are the managers that understand these ESG risks that are really able to during the due diligence phase assess them properly and shrewdly and do they have the toolkit and by that I mean experience track record and skill set do they have in-house expertise so that they can tackle those risks and mitigate them to acceptable like risk appetite tolerances And can they do um, not necessarily a turnaround, but can they do the necessary work of plugging all of those gaps and elevating those standards so that at the end of the day, you have assets and companies that are plug and play, that fit into a multinational, that fit into a listed company where, you know, the prospective buyer doesn't have to invest or worry about skeletons and closet where they know they're getting a high quality, well run company that is operating in a clean way, you know, with high environmental and social standards, with a deep license to operate, all of those great things that mean it's a more valuable asset at the end of the day. So, yes, there are risks, but they are very mitigable if you have the right experience and um, expertise.
0: Terrific. Well, we have a couple more minutes left, Shami. I'm Mm -hmm. I wanted to spend that time talking about the recession that came out of the COVID-19 experience around the world and the concept within that process of a just transition, which has gained global traction in both the sustainable and responsible investment industry. What does a just transition look like through the Actus lens?
1: Thank you for asking that. And interestingly, that I was lucky enough to be invited to speak on a panel at COP26 in Glasgow last week during Finance Day. And the topic of my panel was essentially the just transition. Um, and it's something that perhaps isn't, you know, universally a well-understood term, but it's referring to the transition that we all know we need to emerge from, you know, the climate, the climate change challenge that we're all in. But the word just in front of it basically alludes to the fact that we need this transition, this economic transition that we're all in to be equitable and to be inclusive and to ensure that nobody is penalized as a result of the transition. And essentially, the notion is no one is left behind. And we actually need that to happen if the transition will be successful because people are going to need to retrain to get reskilled, we have new industries and new technologies, and we need large workforces to shift out of the old sectors that don't have a role in a net zero world. And we need people to get reskilled in these new sectors. So we need that to happen. It has to be a just transition apart from the morality of it, of course. So, so the way that we think about that. And as you say, more critical than ever. Because of the pandemic and the impact that has had on the most vulnerable, the poorest, the marginalized, the global South in general, um, but also females, for example. So people have lost jobs and livelihoods and lives, of course. So the way that we think about the just transition is that every investment that we make, we are thoughtful and intentional about the social aspects. What are the true development needs of the communities? So I'm talking about local level communities that live and work in, around, and near our assets and projects. And what are the development needs they have and how can we help meet those? Because we want to be a company that is investing into businesses that themselves invest in their local communities. We want to create stakeholder value, not just shareholder value. We want some of the value that we create to stay in those cities with those citizens in those communities so that people can you know, alleviate some of the conditions that they live in and equip themselves to improve their own job prospects, right? So we want the next generation to grow up with a different life outlook, different economic prospects than their parents. And, and so that basically looks like vocational training. It looks like upscaling. It means that when we interact with communities, We're very thoughtful about who are we talking to? Is it just the men? Where are the women? Where are the disabled, the single mothers, the old, the young, whoever it might be, the indigenous? And we make sure that our programs put their arms around everybody. If anything, they are overweighted to the people that are marginalized. And we try and help them to help themselves. So one specific example to make it real through our company Atlas, which is um, a renewable energy company operating in Latin America we managed to train 800 females from local communities in solar panel installation. And that is during the year of a pandemic across three different countries, Mexico, Chile, and Brazil. So 800 women trained on solar panel installations. The videos and pictures of them are great, Paul, with masks on during COVID, holding drills, learning a new skill bringing back extra income to the households, feeling empowered because they're, you know, breadwinners. And it's a great story because it meant that our portfolio company was aligned, the construction company was aligned. We worked with local NGOs to source the women. It has a great social impact. It's all measurable. We managed to get all our stakeholders to work together in support of this initiative, despite some cynicism about how are you going to deliver this in a pandemic? But it happens. So it just goes to show what can be done. So that's a great, that for me, that is the just transition. That is a perfect illustration of what's the art of the possible.
0: That's great. If you have any links or clips that you can send us. that Yes, we... I do.
1: I have some video footage.
0: Terrific. We'd love to have it. Can you also tell our listeners how they can contact you and where they can learn more about Actus's role in the global energy transition?
1: Um, yes, of course, through the website. Um, we have a sustainability section on our website, which you can find, you know, very easily. My contact details are there. I'm also on LinkedIn. We have lots of thought leadership and case study examples and videos on the website. My email is snissan at act.is. So very happy to receive comments, ideas, or questions from anybody. We're very humble, so we always We don't like to say that we know everything there is to know. So, yeah.
0: Well, you certainly know a lot about what you're engaged in, and I'm really excited to have this conversation so we can get the word out to our audience. Thanks again, Shami Neeson, the head of sustainability at Actis. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast.